This is Otano Public Health Chats with your host, Fiona. And today I am excited to uh, interview another fave, another public health fave. I feel like all of my guests this whole season have been faves, but this one we go a little bit back as well. So I was actually reflecting ahead of recording this episode because I was like, when was the first time? Like, how did I get to know you? Was basically what I was trying to get at. And then... Of course, it went back to USAP, which we might get into. And then it was Chiazam Fude, actually. And yeah. it was kind of like a cup, like a circle moment in my career path because the reason you came up in, and I'm going to say this publicly on record, the reason you came up in conversation with Chiazam was because I was at a point after my undergraduate, mm-hmm. before graduate school, we were at a yeah. USAP conference, and I was trying to find my next step. And yeah. I was like, it's not, I was at that point where I was like clear that, and it's funny because I still had a job for in a research lab. I knew that was Mm -hmm. lined up, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do. So I was kind of trying to, what I'm now realizing, like figure out like, what am I going to do that's not medicine that's related to health? Yeah. And I was just like talking to a lot of people at the conference and just poking. Chanza had a social work background, I think. And that's the reason I had approached her, had this conversation, told her about like HIV work I'd done, like internships I'd done and things like that. And she said, I know someone who I can connect you with, who's going to help yeah. you with what you're talking about. So she's the one who was like, <laughs> the meet Consta and she's a star and yeah. you enjoy conversations <laughs> And then she winked at us. <laughs> and then we met in Zoom. I think it was, yeah. I don't even remember. I think it was 2016. It must have been 2016, yeah. 2017. We met. <laughs> and what were you doing at the time? 2016. What was I doing? I just finished my MPH, maybe? You were doing, exactly. So I, that was yeah. when I was applying my MPH. And so it was like perfect timing. And we kind of talked. Yeah. I think the conversation with you really just kind of solidified what I had been thinking about already that, okay, this is the, the a good next step in what I'm mm-hmm. interested in will be a useful degree, basically. So yeah, that's yeah. how I know Constantia Bawoza, our <laughs> Dr. Constantia Bawoza, our guest for today. So uh, I'm going to let you introduce us all. Tell us like, what do you nice. do? What's your background and what are you about? And thank you for being a guest on our show. Nice. Thanks for having me, Fiona. Before I introduce myself, I'm just going to say it's it's funny because I had exactly the same kind of thinking around, you know, I, I felt like I was good at science, but I didn't necessarily want to do that in my life. Um, and, and I really had also kind of these reckoning moments of I want to be in health, in the health space. It doesn't have to look like medicine. What can it look like? And and trying to figure that out. And that's pretty much how I've ended up here. But backtracking, my name is Constantia Bimbai Mawodza. I am Zimbabwean. Um, I am currently living in Harare, Zimbabwe. I'm back home. I've been back home since July 2018, which nobody believes <laughs> because yeah. I'm always all over the place. <laughs> but I am I'm in, I'm in Harare. That's home. That's where I stay. That's where I have a place. That's where I work. And what kind of things, what kind of work do I do? That's always a hard one. I am, mm-hmm. I'm fundamentally a social scientist, but I'm also, I also like to think of myself as a systems thinker. So I kind of exist at that intersection of uh, social science and, and systems thinking. Um, I work in community-based health programming. I do process evaluations of complex, often adaptive programs and interventions in the HIV and sexual and reproductive health space. So a researcher, a short, precise word for the things that I do. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy my work. I, I could do this for the rest of my life. I And yeah, with all of its challenges, I am thoroughly happy and where I really want, have wanted to be for the longest time. So yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And congratulations, by the way. Let's just put it on the record that this doctor title is new. <laughs> it's so new right now. It feels like very um, satisfying to hear. Uh-huh. It. But you know, when people, you know, call you doctor, you're like, no, yeah, I'm just constant to you. 
it's a bit weird um but i receive i receive i'll take it no <laughs> it's amazing it's like i can imagine i feel like after like so many like how many years working on this but and i also loved the use of like how you introduce yourself just like tagging couple like, you mentioned social sciences you mentioned being a researcher mm -hmm. systems mm -hmm. thinker and then you yep. said a lot of like we'll unpack all of these as the episode goes you talked about <laughs> adaptive programs you talked about <laughs> yeah. I think community health program my audience might have come across that with our previous guests so hopefully that's not like too new but you did yeah. make complex and adaptive <laughs> interventions and programs so we'll get into all of that but not to okay. all of that it's like really exciting for me and maybe also as a segue you mentioned that you love doing the work you do and you'd be mm -hmm. do this in the long term but generally speaking yeah. how long have you been working in the field Yeah, that's a hard one. You know, I was I was thinking mm -hmm. about that today. So my very first job uh, straight from my undergraduate degree, which was in neuroscience, I majored in neuroscience. Um, I like to pretend that I also minored in women, gender and sexuality studies, but mm -hmm. my school didn't have a minor. I just took as many classes. I think I was maybe two courses away from being a double major. So so I like to call that my minor, but but I have a I have a bachelor's in neuroscience and my first first job out of undergrad was actually as a um, clinical trials coordinator so i worked in cancer research mm -hmm. getting that job was quite interesting so i went through like maybe over 40 interviews <laughs> If I had to tell someone, I would say better prepare for job for the job market when you're still in undergrad. Right. Clearly, I did, but but anyways, it was in retrospect, I think it it really grounded me and and I got this like amazing skill set that I still use to um up until today. So I had to be really organized. I was coordinating maybe seven clinical trials by the time I was done um in my last year uh with like different pharmaceutical companies um different kinds of cancers and and making sure that everybody is coordinated and doing the work that they're supposed to do. So a lot of my organization and time management um are kind of skills that I've taken on um more into the sexual and reproductive health space. So I like to think that's when my public health career started. So pretty much in what 2013 so maybe nine years ago nine ten years. um yeah 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 and then I kind of have been slowly navigating my way to be in the space that's that I really really like um so so yeah so that was my first job and then of course I went to UCT for for my master's program um so I did my master's in public health and I specifically focused on uh, health systems and policy because at that point it was it was quite clear to me the people stories within public health to make sense of how people understand their own health of how they describe it of how they take care of themselves so so i was already leaning towards the social science aspects and the systems aspects of of public health so it was a very intentional decision because uct had like a uh, six specializations in public health that you could take and I specifically applied for health systems and policy so you could do epi and biostats you could do a general mm -hmm. mph you could do social behavioral something uh you could do like community health and and that was the only one I applied for and then whilst I was at UCT I I always worked during my my masters so mm -hmm. I worked with doctors without borders um during my time there um so already starting to kind of understand community health programs I think they were doing maybe one of the first ever HIV self-testing trials and I managed to be part of that so that was pretty exciting and then um and then I did some research assistant work uh within the School of Public Health as well. And then I came back home after I finished. Uh, by then I had a job with uh, University of California, San Francisco, um, but we were evaluating an HIV program for the Minister of Health here in Zimbabwe. And I was kind of leading the evaluation for that. So that was kind of my intro into evaluations, which is what I do now. Um, my intro kind of into into public health after the the clinical trials work was really with human resources for health so i actually worked with health providers um and and that was quite ex exciting now i work with young people but i always say providers have my heart they they are the foundation <laughs> of the work that i've done <laughs> so i've got their back i understand their struggles and i i'm with them um mm -hmm. i get it i they're they my people so um So, so yeah. And then, yeah, so many other things happen after that, but those are kind of my entry points into, into public health spaces. 
Yeah, what a journey, man. Nine years, nine <laughs> to ten years. You're right. And start maybe, let's say, we'll say neuroscience with a neuroscience background yeah. and the clinical trials. So you start with the trenches. We all started the trenches, man. I was like, yeah. <laughs> my first job out of undergrad, I was a research technician in the lab. And yeah. it's interesting how, even as you were talking about your key experiences or entries into the field, like, Looking back, and I think we've talked about this with different guests as well, with like career journeys, how looking back, they all make sense. But like as you're yes. doing them, they might even even when you're intentional, they still yeah. they might not necessarily like make sense. Like, you know, how do you go from like neuroscience? But when you think about systems <laughs> and evaluating process, yeah. they make sense if you ask yeah. me. But it meanders, right? You go, you you go with ebbs and flows and you eventually or somehow get there, right? Which is yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we've already covered now like how you pursued your career, how you started, and kind of Mm -hmm. like jumping from my intro, you mentioned also being in the space of being interested in health, but not necessarily wanting to be a practitioner. And then getting into um doing the mph and then from there kind of starting your career now so that's yeah. all pretty cool um i think we've covered the why did you pursue a career in public health then so mm-hmm. maybe before we go into the like deep questions can you tell mm-hmm. us like what you do what consta does now so we've talked about like where you started key moments can you tell us a little yeah. bit of like the work you've done maybe in the past year or so yeah, so so when I moved back home in um, September 2018, I so I had two things. I just finished my Global Health Co-Fellowship. So I'd been in Washington, D.C. for 13 months. Um, and it's one of the most maybe pivoting fellowships um, in my life. I'm, I'm quite grateful for it. I never wanted to go back to America. I always told myself GHC would be the reason I went back to America. So when I got selected for the fellowship, I was really happy to go. And I remember before I applied, when, when I saw like other fellows and the positions that the, the fellowship offered, um, there was a UN AIDS one. So I was like, okay, I'm going to enter the UN. It's the only one I'm going to apply for. It's the one I want to do. <laughs> um, so that was my agenda. I was going to apply for placement at UN AIDS and, and do my GHC fellowship, which is really about... Um, leadership and health right uh yeah. so so anyways but the year that i was applying then they had new organizations new placement organizations join and uh, and there was the center for health and gender equity and during my mph i had realized just how passionate and committed i am to gender equity um, I think my my thesis was actually like a gender analysis. So I was very committed to it. So so I was like, okay, so change Center for Health and Gender Equity became my number one placement organization. And then UN AIDS was number two. So so I was kind of very much driven by the things that I was passionate about versus trying to enter the UN at that point. And change took me, and that was kind of my my commitment to sexual and reproductive health. So I spent that entire year kind of studying um policies and programs in sexual and reproductive health specifically for young people. So that was the foundation of what I do today. And then when I came back home, how did I come back home? I met Chido, your previous guest on Twitter. Uh, it's a story we like to tell. But basically, I, I saw her. I said your, your Twitter connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's one of my best friends now, but we met on Twitter. Um, but basically, whilst, whilst I was trying to navigate my way back home, I saw that on Twitter, I saw that she was doing a PhD at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, but she was doing it whilst she was based in Zimbabwe, which is how I wanted to do my PhD. Uh, so I hunted her down. I looked for her institutional email address, which is an easy thing to find. I don't know if I should say this publicly, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I looked for, for her email address, her LSHTM email address, and I emailed her and I asked to meet her when I was back in Zimbabwe and I sent her my CV basically saying I'm looking for opportunities and I would and I would like to pursue a PhD in the same format that that you're pursuing hers and and she pretty much responded and she's like oh I think you're the person my boss is looking for based on your CV so Uh yeah so we met and then uh, I met with Rashida maybe a few days after I met with Chido and I pretty much had a job after that yeah so so that's the job that I've been doing so I've been kind of on the leadership team for the process evaluation of um, the Chiesa trial that we've been conducting in Zimbabwe so we've been offering HIV and sexual and reproductive health services for young people 
Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of leading on the the process evaluation, so understanding the the trial and and how it's been received uh, by young people, by the providers, and what that tells us about the way that we should be conducting uh, randomized controlled trials, or as I mentioned earlier, complex opt-in adaptive yeah. <laughs> interventions. <laughs> programs. Um, so, so I spend my day trying to unpack um, complexity, trying to unpack things that are layered, uh, that can be understood from many different lenses and trying to repackage all of that into messages that help us advance programs and policy. Um, so so yeah, that's, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. I mean, the trial is over now, but uh, hopefully I'll be joining other process evaluations for, for other projects that are within our research groups. Yeah, process evaluations, complex interventions. That's what I do. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, I'm trying to see yeah. how much, how much time. I'll give us like three minutes of the clock to do a couple of technical follow-up questions because I do think okay. there's a little bit of value to unpack that before we go back to your career in general. So yeah. I, I, this is just a personal curious question for me. So you said you, you guys are doing a process evaluation for the trial. Are you also, in addition mm-hmm. to that, doing an impact evaluation or process evaluation is all as far as evaluation goes? Yes. Well, I guess because the, the trial is an evaluation of the intervention, right? So, yeah. yes. so we did the process yeah, so we did the the process evaluation of the of the package of services that we were offering. Um, but part of the trial to assess whether it actually worked or not, we had to do a prevalence survey at population level uh, in the provinces and in the communities, both the um, intervention communities and the control communities. So that's how we've been able to assess the impact of of the intervention. Um, so so we've done both. We've also had a cost effectiveness evaluation as well. So we've been doing a lot of things. But yeah, yeah I'd love to read up on that. Okay, so I understand all of the last couple of sentences you said, but I'm pretty sure the general audience does not. So maybe yeah. let's take a step back with chairs up. Uh, and mm-hmm. you say that the trial has just ended. I remember I, I think I saw a tweet from Rashida the other day saying they unblinded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you maybe give us like a, a, a elevator? What is Chiedza? What were you doing? And maybe give us an example of when you say working with young people, you mentioned multiple provinces and Zim. So I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. like a Zim audience would be curious to hear what were you offering and who were you offering it to and what was it about? How long was it as well? Yes. Okay, so so Chiazza was, it's done now, so we're going to mm-hmm. be speaking in past tense. Chiazza was a community-based intervention that, that we were offering in Harare, Bulawayo, and Mashonaland East. And we were basically offering HIV and sexual and reproductive health services. So it was an integrated one-stop shop package of services for uh, young people aged 16 to 24 years old. So we offered services on the entire HIV cascade. So HIV testing and counseling. If you were diagnosed with HIV, we offered linkage to care. We offered HIV care treatment. We offered adherence support. For sexual and reproductive health services, we offered family planning. So my PhD was actually evaluating our family planning service delivery model. So we offered family planning. We offered menstrual health. We offered STI testing and management. We offered condom distribution and then we also had general health counseling and risk reduction counseling. I hope I mentioned everything of the section reproductive health services. Yeah, so we were yeah, so we were offering that within within a community setting. So we were working out of community centers or youth centers, and young people would come to us and they would access the services that um, they needed as they needed. Before COVID, we had social activities, so we didn't feel like a clinic. So it was really trying to be very youth friendly and youth centered. Uh, so they would come and play games, pool. And whilst they're doing that, they would have health talks with our youth workers, whilst they also wait to then enter a more enclosed, we call them health booths, where they could then access all the other services that they needed to, to access. So that was the intervention. And the primary outcome for our intervention was then to see if, if we offered this kind of services and this kind of integrated community-based service delivery model, where we're going to be able to improve viral load suppression. So like the last 1990-90 at the population level, which was quite an ambitious primary outcome, I think. But but that's what we were working with. So in the prevalence survey that I, I was asking you, for example, 
that I was telling you um, earlier on, uh, we were basically assessing whether we improved we improved viral load suppression at the population level. So we did the prevalence survey in in all of the communities where we were working, as well as the control, to see if there was um, a difference in the control and the intervention communities. So that was the trial. With process evaluation, we we were looking at, uh, I'll look at three things. So first was the context. So how did the context in which we were having this intervention affect that the, affect the way that the intervention played out? I'll stop there and not go deeper. Context is a complex one. And then we also looked at implementation. So what was implemented, when, why, and how? And then we also looked at uh, what we call mechanisms of change. So this one really focuses on the experiences. So how the intervention was experienced by the young people and how it was received by them, how it was experienced by the providers who were offering these services um, and whether these experiences and the way they viewed the intervention actually resulted in any kinds of effects. So, so that's the process evaluation. Uh, so it helps us basically have a better understanding of the trial, regardless of what the results actually ended. So like you said, we unblinded. So regardless of the primary outcome and what it tells us, what have we learned by actually just delivering this intervention? And that's the story that process evaluations try and tell. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, exactly. So I get, let me start from the back going like from the front going back so with the process yeah. evaluation sounds to me like it's the it's an assessment of how you did the work versus like the overall project which is looking at what did the work achieve right yes exactly all right so you were doing the process evaluation part and then she had that in mm-hmm. itself was kind of like an impact evaluation with the outcome being one of the outcomes at least being the viral load suppression and it was integrated offering like more than one services so you, i I think you mentioned the family planning, the HIV, um, the testing and things like that. So it sounds like how long did how long was this trial? I think I missed that part. How many years? Oh, yes. So, yes. So we implemented the intervention for two and a half years. So we started in April 2019 and we ended Uh in March 2022. So about 24. Okay, about 30 months, maybe. Um, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. This stuff, this stuff gets yeah. me. Excited. <laughs> it's a lot, but <laughs> no, it was fun. It was hectic. It was hectic for the last <laughs> four years. I think I've only done like twenty-one <laughs> projects, and I'm like twenty, thirty. Wow, <laughs> so many issues yeah. I can imagine, but it's all fun. I do agree. And what yeah. I always another question I always a follow up question I always have for everybody because I do think this is a key question in public health work. A lot is. Where'd you get the money? <laughs> Who's funding this? Oh. Or, a lot. This, you're talking yeah. about HIV. You're talking about family planning. It all. I'm thinking about all those products. Um, yeah. And like, even when you mentioned your previous work with like, all of that costs money before we even get yeah. to human capital, right? The people working on the project yeah. in the services themselves are pricey. So yeah. was it multiple funders? Like, what did that look yeah. like getting that funded? Yeah, yeah. So this one was Welcome Trust funded. Um, and and Rashida, who's the PI, basically applied. It was a build-up from a previous smaller trial that she'd done, where I think some of the key findings were basically if you could try and offer integrated services, mm-hmm. um, not in a clinic setting. So basically what she has became were recommendations of the previous trial that she'd done in Zimbabwe and and that got funded and it was it was pretty comprehensive funding in that sense so that was pretty cool and we were able to to do the trial as needed um but even within that we then had also other types of funding for for different kinds of projects so Mandy for example was doing MHM we had some yeah, funding from yeah yeah yeah, so we had quite a few sub-studies and then the STI testing also had that Chido was kind of coordinating mm-hmm. and became the PI4, also had, I think it was MRC funding. And okay. then there was another sub-study that was a bit of a focus on on family planning that I was supporting. Um, and that one was supported by the Charlize Theron City AOP, Charlize Theron Africa something foundation. Wow. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, so, so, so there were pools of, of funding, uh, for sub-studies or further inquiries as, as the trial progressed, but, but the main trial was funded by the Wellcome Trust. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm always asking yeah. people because I think this issue of funding 
at least from in my yeah. experience and just generally always comes up of like yes even when we do like you're saying it sounds like you had these recommendations from a previous study which I think a lot of people come across and then the always yeah. question when we especially with like innovative and creative things like what she has it sounds like yeah. hey, it's like whenever you pitch these ideas right people always go like Psh, who's gonna give you money for yeah. it <laughs> what do you think yeah, you yeah and you know how you were saying that like in in in, in follow-up seasons you really want to to interrogate some of the gaps in challenges in public health and i think the funding space is one of them i think it could be a topic um, that we could <laughs> yeah that we could really dive into from the politics around it from who mm-hmm. can get funded from just the level of subjectivity and peer review and yeah like it's it's a gamble it's it, it yeah and I think it deserves its own conversation awesome. we'll um, do that we'll do a like... funding mini series we'll do it and I think yeah. it has come up I think just to kind of uh, reorient the audience I think this is episode mm. 14 we did have as um Constance mentioning here we had Monday as our initial guest on episode one yeah. And now, Dr. Mundy, I think we're going to shout her out on the page as well. She's yeah. <laughs> on menstrual health. And I think in her episode, and I think even subsequent ones, we did talk about when we got to the question of like challenges in the field, funding was definitely something that came up. And also just another person you've cross-referenced for those who might be only be checking into this episode, we did have, I think, two episodes ago, we hosted Dr. Chilo Zivachkwari, who's also uh, working under the same, I would say, institution. So it's, it seems like all of my faves are in this space, but... <laughs> I promise I'll broaden it maybe, maybe I will plug the institution and yes, like, come yes, so we are a fun group <laughs> and we love what we do. We work hard. We do great work. So you should look up the health research unit at the Biomedical Research and Training Institute in Zimbabwe. It's fun right. times. So I think I'll plug it as well. I think I plugged it with Chido's and Mandy's episodes, but I'll definitely plug yeah. it as well in the episode notes yeah. for one another thing I wanted to plug from what you've described so far is and we've had I think two episodes ago with Sandra Isano from Rwanda Mm -hmm. and she's also actually currently studying her PhD but she did she was a GHC fellow so I don't know if you overlapped with her (laughs) yeah oh wow we actually need to plug GHC applications are open So please go and apply. They have sub-Saharan African fellows this year. Mm -hmm. So it's new. Um, So you get, I mean, there's like nine countries, Zimbabwe is included. So if you're Zimbabwean and you're looking at this um, Mm -hmm. and listening into this episode, please go apply. There's some incredible positions. I almost wish I could reapply. um, It looks so cool. Oh yeah, there there are some fun positions that, that are available in Malawi, Zambia, Rwanda, Zimbabweans. You can go and be placed out there for 13 months and it's a paid position it's it's mm-hmm. such an incredible opportunity to to explore be creative grow be bold in your public health career and i would encourage anyone who's eligible to to shoot their shot absolutely and i think we're seeing we're seeing trends we're seeing trends i mean we're only i've been telling people this is my mini phd guys this episode this episode. <laughs> point this is second ghc fellow we are at like person number four uh so many amazing black african women (laughs) doing the work you know and i think there's something to be said about programs and funding that support and kind of pivot young people right into these spaces and into this career and i think that's worth highlighting and mentioning i think is really one of my main goals with this podcast is to be able to showcase and have people learn and know different pathways they could get into the field so yeah GHC and through them right so we'll definitely plug those and like you say GHC is accepting um, applications right now so be sure to put that in the episode notes oh (laughs) this is so cool so cool (laughs) amazing stuff okay so now we know what you've been working on and the way I'm now I'm also learning right how these things work and it Mm -hmm. sounds like from these like I call them like mega grants (laughs) yeah where you end up doing like a million things, right? And it's on yeah. like them. It is possible for people to even have sub grants or sub work, and the, yeah. all of those can be like, I guess, work in itself, but also yeah. as part of research studies, which I think is something exactly. that would be useful for people to know. Because I think prior to starting a ton of public health, I did um, a couple of Twitter Spaces 
I hosted mm. one about like what is public health. And one key mm. question that actually came up a lot, and I think we talked about this on Chido's episode, was money. So people were asking, yeah. can I make money if I work in public no. health? No. <laughs> is it, or will I just be struggling, right? Because I think, you yeah. know, a lot of people are passionate about the work and I think it's a field that yeah. can change and impact. But then people are like, yeah. eh, but like, who's going to pay my rent? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts. No, I, on that. I think you can. I think so. Mm-hmm. The the can I make money? How am I going to phrase this without <laughs> offending our audience? No right. offense. I so my philosophy, and this could be very like personal. So maybe let's mm-hmm. not make it general. Mm-hmm. Is um especially in something like like public health, like the way that I function is I always and Chino and I talk about it quite often is. I always aim to do really good work. Like my bare minimum is excellence. And I believe that your work speaks for you. Mm -hmm. So the more good work you do, the more like opportunities and money-making opportunities come up. So it's a bit of a, so so I almost didn't get into public health thinking I'm going to make money, except for the time when I wanted to go to the UNAIDS. I was like, this would be a cool gig. Um, like my my poorly informed, I mean, they pay well, poorly informed. I mean, there's so many different ways you could make money in, in public health. Right. Um, but 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 so my philosophy is always to really do good work, you know, work that really does try and advance um, for for my space, at least programming and policy for adolescents and young people. And and people mention your names like people call you up. I've had people call me up from meeting me two years ago and something comes up and they think mm-hmm. you're the person that we think could be able to do this. Right. Because of something that I delivered literally two years ago that I maybe even forgotten about or didn't even realize the impact that it had had. So that might be quite altruistic of me, but but it's worked for me so far and I am able to pay my rent. So it works. I do I do think, I mean, through Zim, I think we we just have a really incredible opportunity and workspace and and there's different ways you can explore. And we have really incredible mentors and bosses who who are willing to work with us to make sure that we're growing professionally, personally, academically. Also, without really feeling like you're you're losing or completely suffering financially with a PhD, for example, like I didn't want to do like a full time student PhD. I definitely wanted my PhD to be embedded in work so that it felt like I was growing both academically and professionally instead of like just being an academic. And with that, I also just had to compromise on on what I was paid, right? Because I'm also a student, et cetera, et cetera. So there might be that kind of compromise, but I would like him to imagine that now that I have my PhD, um, my earning potential has also gone up. So the sacrifices will come. Let's let's not sugarcoat that right. one. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's worth it in, in the long run. Okay, okay. All right, drinks yeah. on you, Costa, when I come to Zoom. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> we'll, we'll hold you to it. But no, I'm just really, really, really proud and, and like, you know, excited that you <laughs> journey and that others get to hear about it as well on the episode. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I think uh, we're running out of time. Then this always happens. Mm-hmm. We're having fun. But maybe, <laughs> maybe can you do three things? Why do you like, what are the, what are your three favorite things about working in public health? Yeah, let's mm-hmm. say top three. I know you could go longer, but let's keep it to three. <laughs> I don't even think I can tell you three. Wow. <laughs> um, I can I can mumble along uh, uh-huh. and hopefully there's three things in in. Uh, okay, let's do it as one. In, What's in like what I say, yeah, yeah. Your so, favorite so yeah so I'll say this so one of the things like we started at the very beginning of our conversation today Fiona was how like I didn't I felt like practicing medicine or going to medical school would have been like a very one-on-one approach to help and public health allows me to operate at like very like it's it spans kind of the entire life course maybe right from like very individual to community society population national regional international and and I really really enjoy that I really enjoy this kind of very macro big level kinds of impact and effects that public health allows me to do so so that's number one uh and then for me number two the things that 
Um, it's about something that I really love about public health, but it's also maybe a challenge. So of all of my kind of academic and professional experiences, I always say this to people when people ask me, like, what do you want to do? What Where do you see yourself in 10 years? That kind of question. And I'm always like, I really thrive at the intersection of research, policy, programming and advocacy. So I want to generate evidence that informs policies and programs, right? And ensuring that advocacy is evidence-informed. And I, for whatever reason, so far in all of my professional experiences have been able to exist in that space. And that's that's like my sweet spot. I am so happy when I'm generating evidence, when I can see that the the findings that we have in Chiedza can affect the way that we do integrated service provision for young people, which is the fight that I'll be taking on next year, because I have the advocacy training, I have the policy training from my MPH, I have the systems training of how this could fit within a health system like Zimbabwe. So for me, that's my sweet spot. Those are the things that I really, really enjoy doing. But it's also so hard to translate evidence into policy, right? Because the stakeholders are different, because people have different agendas, and they are the decision makers. Uh, so it's a bit of a different beast. So that's a bit of the, is the love that I have, but it's also the challenge that I acknowledge. Um, and I think that many people who straddle yeah. yeah, programs and policy and, and research, I think would identify with. So I'll stop there. Those are two things. But yeah, those are the things that I love. And I hope I always am existing in that space in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, absolutely. And I think both of your points kind of touched to what was going to be my next question. But before I got mm-hmm. get to that, I think I love, I just wanted to make sure I got that clear. So you said research slash evidence generation, right? And you mentioned programs, and then you mm-hmm. mentioned advocacy and policy. Those are your four kind yes. of like, and you said kind of working in public health has allowed you to kind of exist in that space where it's like the science, right, meets the, like the programs and the science, right, influence, right, with the skill set and like through advocacy, right, to make policy change. Wow. Yeah, that's that's my sweet spot. I am like, if I am doing those things, I yeah, I I'm so happy. I don't know if you can tell from my voice. <laughs> yes, but, you can tell like you like smiling through ear. I'm just also reflecting partly because this is the last episode of the season, but just generally from of some of the things you said in your response, I think what you mentioned is like your rose and your thorns, right? The idea of like policy and advocacy it is kind of the challenge and I think we've had episode with the Dorcas a bicycleian right who was talking about it for her it was a challenge being on the research side leaning heavily Mm -hmm. on the research side and doing the work coming out with the findings and the recommendations having the science tell you right that a causes b or if you do be better you'll get better outcomes but you kind of reach that dead end where it's not translating to policy it's not translating to the day-to-day and it seems to be like a theme of like frustration for people who are doing so good luck in that and maybe we'll have you come back (laughs) to unpack it's a different it's a different kind of skill set maybe maybe if i'm successful we'll come back and like talk Mm -hmm. through strategies and what that can look like because it's it's a yeah, it's a different kind of skill set. Like yeah. Not all of us always have it or have to think through it, right? Like we're kind of technically trained mm-hmm. to generate the evidence. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, I think we'll personally see. I thrive on the, I will focus on the generated evidence. You guys do it. <laughs> you push the button. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what we find, but it's not going to be me. Personally, I think. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I enjoy stakeholder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can get a bit depressing right because you realize people don't care about <laughs> yeah yeah and you realize people don't care about the things you care about and yeah you're like, well, it's, it's good <laughs> I think for me what I love about that is like you're saying I think if you sound like you're more like multi-pronged or interdisciplinary and public health is a lot working public health has allowed you to be able to kind of change hats and like work in that and I think Chido mentioned a little bit of that as well but even with our our season so far and just generally I do know that public health is very multidisciplinary and has Mm -hmm. so much like potential for like you can come in as much as you want or need to right for example we've had like I think Sandra who was mentioning as being a GHC fellow she has a pharmacist Mm. background right we've had I think so far in this season we've had two medical doctors right who came in 
both are actually still practicing medicine, but working in public health. I think one was in occupational health and one mm. is basically a public health physician. So there's space for people to lean in, right, to their strengths and what they bring into the field, yeah. but it is generally very multidisciplinary. Um, yeah. So that's one of my favorite yeah. things about public health. So it's it's great yeah. to see that you're one of those rock stars <laughs> who thrives, who thrives on flexibility and adaptability. <laughs> yeah, it's you know that's why I do adaptive programming. It like literally leans into my like my personal way right. of functioning. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, um, so that helps. People, the people listening out there who feel like I might be interested in this and that and this, and it's like will I be able to do that? I think public health is a space that would allow you to do that as well. Yes, yes. I actually wanted to piggyback on on what you were saying earlier about the multi-pronged nature of, of public health or public health being a space where you can explore, I don't know, different disciplines maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and just to go back to, to GHC, because I think it's the fellowship where I saw how this could play out. Because with the GHC fellowship, you don't even need to be working in health, right? So so mm-hmm. some of the placement is like you're, it's, you care about health or you want to use health as the lens through which you explore equity if you care mm-hmm. about equity. So you don't even need to have a health background. I remember we would have like architects, so people designing hospitals mm-hmm. for Haiti because it's earthwork prone, right? Mm. So that's still public health, but that person is an architect or you mm. have like an accountant or a finance person who's trying to figure out how to have supply chain and money that flows. You know how like donor funding can take forever to get to projects and work needs right. to be done. Right. And someone <laughs> is trying to figure out systems of how that can work. So that for me was such an eye opener of, I mean, I don't want to do like a career guidance session on, on this podcast but but that's what it looks like right so do yeah. you care about health do you care about equity do you care about gender and do you uh-huh. want to pursue that professionally and I think public health really allows you to tap into all that so I don't mean to brag but I think it's a pretty cool field to be in yeah. no I am yeah. very yeah you're preaching to the choir here definitely I'm biased and that's definitely one of my selling points yeah for the field is like uh, whatever skill set you have talk to me for 10 minutes I'll convince you we need it in public health Exactly, exactly. And, and where it would fit in and how and why. And um, and sometimes that that isn't as clear for, for so many of us. So so hopefully my hopefully that your your podcast can help open up some of those opportunities or ways of thinking about public health that could help the audience out there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we've talked about why, we've talked about your favorite things. We're starting to slow down and wrap up, but before we do yeah. that, maybe can you, and I think we've already started to like bring out some of these key theme, themes, but I would love to hear in your own words, can mm-hmm. you maybe, like what, like how would you define public health for yourself and based on your experience or a, a slight rewording of the question, like what does public health mean to you? When you say I'm constant, I work in public health, what, what do you mean? <laughs> When I think of public health, I think of well-being, right? Mm-hmm. At like an individual level, at a community level, at a population level, regional, et cetera, et cetera, we could go on. But but I think at its core, it's, it is about well-being. I was reading, I don't know if it's a tweet or like a headline of an article. I never read articles, I read headlines. Um, and it was saying something about the the one of the challenges with public health today is that we focus on sick care instead of health care right so we wait for people to get sick or we deal with issues when people are symptomatic or have actually fallen sick which is not what public health is really about right public health actually is more preventative and this is kind of where the word well-being for me becomes quite all encompassing of of what public health Mm-hmm. is and or could be so so that's that's what sticks to me every time I do my work or every time I say I work in public health it's how are we progressing moving achieving towards individual well-being or society well-being or national well-being yeah and then I leave it as broad as that right um, yeah yeah that's good good stuff yeah always it's always every time I ask this question it's always different answers always focus on different thing. I think at this point yeah. for people who are like follow all my episodes I think we're all familiar I think episode three or four we were introduced to the concept by C 
Garcia, who's the health economist, we were introduced to the concept mm. of the public health elephant, right? We described it as a public yeah. health elephant in that episode of like, it's so big, it encompasses so many things. And that yeah. depending on where you're, you're touching on, right? But the ultimate yeah. goal being, I think I love your point of like well-being. I think it encompasses mm. all of those things. And depending on yeah. your skill set, you can lean on to all of these things. But yeah, well-being, you mentioned prevention, you mentioned the yeah. multi-tree, like from the individual through to like mm-hmm. the macro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff. Uh, completely agree. So, okay. So maybe let's now balance it out and mm-hmm. maybe you could talk about like, no, I want you to, I want some sauce for you, Costa. So let's do not what you least favorite today. I want you to tell me, actually, so let's start with the good stuff. All right. Let, let, let me build you up. Because I was going to say, what do you know now that you wish okay. you know earlier about the field? But before you okay. do that, since we're already wrapping up, could you maybe yeah. start out with, go back to 18-year-old Consta, um, mm-hmm. or maybe 16-year-old version of yourself, and mm-hmm. maybe tell us, is this going to be a two, kind of like two questions in one since we're running out of time? You can yeah. either just talk about generally what you think are skills that you have been very useful in your field. I think you have already started alluding to that with your clinical trials experience. But talk about yeah. skills that have been very most useful and what generally would be your advice to a younger version of self or people looking to pivot into the field. Like what's yeah. been useful, what works, yeah. Hopefully, whatever I say now is responding to all the questions that you just asked me. (laughs) But um, so the thing that I wish that I do now that I wish my 18-year-old self knew. I mean, it's so hard, right? Because in retrospect, you're like, I had to go through everything that I went through to get here, that kind of thing. Um, But but I guess the the thing that I wish my my 18-year-old self knew or was more committed to, I have like a... um, personal I always say if I ever wrote a biography or memoir that would be the title and it's about just shoot your shot and I say this to every young person that that I know and 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 I wish my 18 year old self had been brave enough to really just shoot like I probably wouldn't have majored in I like I was neuroscience in pre-med right I was still thinking about going to medical school and yet and yet by (laughs) virtue of of going to America and not going to med school in Zim, I, I always feel like that was already telling that maybe I was very hesitant about medical school or really wanting to do medicine. Yeah. So, so I wish my 18 year old self was a bit more, was a little bit more bold and brave and could just shoot their shot and really just commit to, to their ideas and curiosity and creativity about their career and their professional life, which I maybe discovered when I was about 24 and I've committed to and I think it's really guided and guarded my career in public health be brave be bold. so yeah so, so that's what I would tell my 18 year old self that's what I would tell anyone who's who's thinking through um my my work is quite purpose-driven um which which is, which is maybe a different approach from from so many people why we do what we do that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but but like for me I fundamentally believe that my purpose on this earth is to ensure that people in my case adolescents and young people have access to the health services they need when they need them and how they need them like literally that is my guiding light that is my lighthouse in life but but everybody has like different different ways of of looking at why they do what they do um so so i think that very much aligns with with shooting your shot because i think even when i was 17 18 i was leaning towards that but maybe i didn't have the language for it so it was a bit harder to to pursue it with confidence um so so maybe taking the time to to explore maybe what your purpose is or why you want to be in public health and have that guide you um as you make professional and academic decisions um yeah yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, no, you've hit all the notes. So yeah, I agree with that. I think I've had, depending on like episodes and whenever I have time, I have pushed back. But ultimately, I do agree with what you're saying about being bold and and, yeah. and going at yeah. it anyway. I think with, you know, I I push back. Like, depending on like, I feel like depending on which project I'm focusing on that week and what's stressing me out, I'll push back on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to push back um, on yeah. like, just like being bold and like even like you're saying even when you don't have the language or the words or not sure kind of like pushing on it I think with Dr. Ntumaling from South Africa he also pushed on that is like do it anyway do it scared do it Mm. when you're not sure Mm. your passion will meet where you need to be on your journey 
And I'm like, that's hard, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. I always acknowledge that, especially with like the Zimbabwean Uh, setting, right? Like mm -hmm. our economic situation sucks. So I'm also always like, if you need to make money, it's okay to say for the next two, three years. So that's why I said it can be your guiding light, right? Because you're yeah. going to have detours, right? You're going to have to make decisions. We're going to have, I joke to yeah. everyone that now that I have my PhD, I need to be making babies and getting married, right? And I'm like, does that does that mean my career is going to stop? Does Like you'll have detours, yeah. but that is your, that's the core fundamental for why you do your professional life. And hopefully with your details, when you come back on track or continue on that detail, that continues to be a guiding light. So it doesn't eliminate all the other stuff that might be influencing decision-making, but hopefully it continues to to guide you. That's that's what you're looking towards. Um, So figuring out the why is, is quite important, I think. Right. So I'm sure you, you're, you've done millions of these workshops. So I'm pretty sure you're very comfortable or aware of the, I think if this came up with another episode, the concept of like ikigai, which is like your why, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah you did a pretty good. I think you explained your why in like sixty seconds. I was listening when you were talking about <laughs> yeah, you have your why in six seconds. I think that's amazing. <laughs> so you're always very yeah. clear of your elevator pitch, and I think that's important. <laughs> and you're right that sometimes your why doesn't it doesn't disappear, it doesn't go away once mm-hmm. you do find it, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. you know life happens basically and if you need to make that money if you need to focus on family it's still there and you can always come back to it once you know what it is and Mm -hmm. you're right that a younger version of myself right would have just benefited from like going for it but I like Mm -hmm. that you also acknowledged which is part of why I started this podcast the idea of like you know needing the language or understanding of the field and like not knowing right like even as I mentioned in the intro for you is like I was at that space of like there's this there's HIV there's health there's like young people there's data but like not knowing what that would look like in my next step and for me uh, Utana Public Health Chats comes in to kind of give people these terms these languages and seeing other people's career paths and picking from there and saying, oh, I now know, oh, with the math background or with this background, I could find my way to doing something like this. So thank you for being a guest. I think that adds to what we're trying to do here with Utano and also kind of still on the advice to younger people um, segment. I think one thing I wanted to highlight, but I was like, let me wait till the end. When you Mm -hmm. were talking about your application process for GHC, Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this is a (laughs) go-getter. (laughs) <laughs> I, I had already mapped the organizations online. you went for it is my point so right no, I was I was ready I I yeah but to be fair like I said I learned from my undergrad experience I was so unprepared and now I'd really really try to to have some opportunities some mapping around yeah. uh potential next steps or maybe skill sets that I want to build uh, I'm a bit more intentional which I wasn't um so so maybe the moral of that story is intentionality really yeah and even how you landed the phd right you 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 you, yeah. what, you said you you found like i think which is to be fair uh birds yeah. of a feather i think i probably did the similar I, I wasn't looking for a phd but that's how i connected with you so i remember her seeing her content and i've a lot of the guests on this show have been people i've seen talking about the work they're doing in public health and i've just like cold emailed or cold sent a message and said hey i see you doing this kind of work and i like it i want you on my show and in your case it was like i'm looking for an opportunity and that kind of opened doors for you so i think there's yeah. like you said intentionality and kind of like you gotta just shoot your shot and eventually something yeah. will land right um and exactly. you don't know unless you don't unless you try right so good stuff good stuff i think we're out of time and i just want to be respectful of your time i think we could keep going i think you've promised us some follow-up show up yes <laughs> i am ready i am I am ready to talk funding. I am ready to talk decolonization. I just want to say the setters before we end. You know, I was reading an article. This is about the decolonization space. I'm like an equity person and power Mm -hmm. hierarchies and all that. I could could talk about that in global 
or public health all day, but mm-hmm. um, it's something that I'm continuing to chew over. So hopefully we can have an episode about this when I'm more, when I have more clarity mm-hmm. um, on what it can look like. But this woman basically said, you know, words like decolonization or like localization or calling us the global South versus go- global North. These are all these like fuzzy, fantastic buzzwords that we're currently hanging on to using uh, because we need language, right? Um, but then she said, but then they've all originated from global North supremacy. And I've been chewing on that. I'm like, well, so what does that mean for the progress we're trying to make? And I don't have a solution to that, but it's it's stuck on my brain for like two weeks now. Yeah. Um, so we could come back and talk about that. Uh, I yeah. will be a very really guest. I think I'll definitely have you, and I think Sia had like a five minute soapbox about this as well. Yeah, <laughs> was episode five. So I think I can already imagine it. A couple of um, panelists on that, and absolutely yeah. with language. I think language matters, and that's definitely for this podcast. So something I had to sit down and think about exactly the the whole public health versus global health. And really being intentional and like, okay, who calls the global health and why? And who calls it public health? And when is it public health? Is there a difference or not? And like you're saying, mm-hmm. there might not be an answer. And I think that's okay. Like a right answer uh, or one yeah. answer. But it's worth unpacking and talking through so that we, we're a little bit more aware and like you said, intentional in how we navigate this yeah. field that I think a lot of people are drawn to because we we care, right? We care about health of people. We care about well-being, exactly. like you said. Exactly. The question is like, how do we do it in ways that are equitable, that make sure that everybody's accounted for as much as possible. So yeah, exactly. all good stuff, all good stuff. Pins on that to be followed up. Um, I think for last few questions, maybe last two, I'll say, I think we already started, but anything you'd want to plug or share, uh, feel mm-hmm. free to say it now or follow up with like links. I will definitely add that to the episode notes. And then your closing words. Yeah. So if you have any last few words, if I think you already started with the decolonization, but <laughs> if you have any last yeah. outs or things yeah. you want to mention, this would be the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've already plugged through Zim, um, which is kind of the unit at BRTI that I work for. It's it's such an incredible space. I think part of hope. I don't know if like Mandy mentioned it or some of the people you speak to from from through Zim, but we're incredibly lucky to have like mentors and supervisors who want to see us succeed. Um, it can be quite daunting, but I think it's it's quite critical when when you're trying to forge your path in in public health. And and through them is is really an incredible space to have that. And of course, the Global Health Call Fellowship. Um, I I've been thinking about maybe I should do like a Q and A, a Zoom Q and A since there is um since the applications are open yeah. until early January. But we'll see. <laughs> I'll try and plug on Twitter if there's enough interest. Maybe I'll do a Q and A on just the application process and um and what and what the roles can mean or look like for for some of our young peeps who want to work in public health. So those are my two plugs, I would say. And for for my last words, um, you know, earlier on you asked me about kind of the skills that are needed or that I think are important. Um, and this might be like my social science systems thinking approach to it but but maybe I'll end with that I think that to thrive in public health you need uh, a lot of critical thinking you need a lot of curiosity and you need a lot of reflexivity because I think part of the challenge especially for maybe people our generation and how we're going to push public health forward is we keep like what do we call it recycling the same questions giving the same responses Mm -hmm. to things like we're really not pushing the the boundaries and it could be like it could be a challenge of the entire kind of evidence generation pathway right from from Mm -hmm. funding to designing interventions delivering them assessing them etc but if you really think about it we're like recycling a lot of things in public health which should be telling us something and i think if you have that kind of critical thinking curiosity reflexivity approach it allows us to maybe move beyond asking the same questions move towards implementing a lot of our findings so that we can continue to ask further newer inquiries and questions so yeah, yeah. In effect, I always I always say, you know, people ask me, 
like what's what's an effective way of doing public health and i'm always saying that it's part of it is an ability to identify a challenge a gap a problem and then addressing that so address that challenge gap or problem you know if you're a researcher like me it would be through responding to research questions etc if you're an implementer it would be implementing the program to address the challenge and then always ensuring you're adding value um so it could be adding value to research knowledge it could be adding value to your clients participants communities that you're working in so identify the challenge address it and add value and always ask yourself how you're doing those things. So I'll end there. Amazing. I was just snapping my fingers. Yes, definitely looking <laughs> inward. I think that's brilliant. And you know, another person, another person who brought some of what you said up interestingly yeah. was another GHC that will say was Sandra. She talked about, she said really? we talked about least favorite things. She said, I don't want to go back to another conference where we present the same findings with the same content. <laughs> I think there's something to be said there. You're right. And as, as someone who's doing research, I think yeah. you're right. Critical thinking, the ability to look yeah. inward and right. And how I think, I think once common ground and common goal and common purpose is established, the next question mm-hmm. is like, how mm-hmm. do we do it and how do we do it better and differently exactly. so that we don't end up with another COVID situation, right? Or yeah. another HIV yeah. pandemic and things like that as well. So how do we do it and how do we do it better so that we don't, repeat ourselves so yeah yeah, I think those are amazing words and I don't want to keep diluting them anymore so I'll end here but thank (laughs) you so much for taking the time at the end of your busy day just share a little bit about yourself and kind of hopefully inspire a couple of people to join our field or at least to remind others and link to other people who might be interested as well amazing I thoroughly enjoyed this and I will come back anytime you want me to Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona. And today I was hosting Dr. Constantia Mavodza from Zimbabwe.